Hello, and welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I am Shay. It's good to be here. Episode four. I can't believe it. Time is flying by. We're rocking it out. You should have seen us about three minutes ago. We started recording, and then we realized that we didn't even have our headphones plugged in. No, we're having a rough go of it (laughs) this evening. (laughs) So we have it right now. Better late than never on figuring that out. So how you doing? I am okay. That mishap was actually a part of a long line of mishaps today. Do tell. (laughs) Well, so Shay and I live really close to one another. So I was kind of rushing out the door on my way over here. And I popped into my roommate's room and I said, hey, bitch ass. But she was in a Zoom meeting with a child that she's tutoring. And she was (laughs) unmuted. And the kid heard me address her as, quote, bitch ass. So I feel so (laughs) bad. That's how your day is going. I know. I feel so bad. And then I just kind of left her there to sort that out. And I left to walk out the door. So you didn't even remedy it. You just entered bitch ass, did not give a (laughs) goodbye. No, no, because she was busy. And I, I, the last thing I wanted to do was interrupt her again. Anyway, the kid did hear it. It seemed like he had a good sense of humor about it. She texted me later. So, (laughs) oh my God, I just. Now you just have to enter in her tutoring sessions with a bunch of compliments of the same degree. It's like, hello, sweet ass. (laughs) Could you imagine? Could you imagine if you were like a child with your tutor and you heard their weird roommate come in and be like, hey, sweet ass. If I was a child, that'd be like porn in my head. Like (laughs) that'd almost be like I'm listening to porn at that point where it's like someone is using a tone I've never heard and cussing at the same time. It's over. Well, I hope that it wasn't too much for her to remedy and move past. Um, But anyway, that's me. How are you? I'm here, you know? (laughs) Mood. That's all I can really say is I'm here. I love it. You know what? Sometimes all you can be is present. (laughs) Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Um... You can tell them what just happened. (laughs) There, you know, it is... I'm telling you, it is... I think there's something about... As much as I love fall, as much as I feel like I thrive in the fall, there is something about the initial slipping into fall that just creates such strange energy, especially during a pandemic. I feel like everyone is very confused about what day it is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just reliving... (laughs) That I just sneezed so hard that I fell out of my chair and Elise had to try to play it cool. Gee, I, I don't know. What do y'all think? Did I play cool? Will this stay in the podcast? I don't know that it? it'll stay in the podcast. But it'll stay in our hearts. And that is the important part. Uh, yes, that's all that's important. Should we? Let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. We've given you all a lot to deal with at, up at the top. So let's just jump right into our content. This week, we are talking about 2014's It Follows, which if you haven't seen it before, it is about STDs. Or sexually sexually transmitted demons. demons. (laughs) Hey, that was pretty cool. It was good. (laughs) I was super nervous about watching this. Shay had seen it before, uh, kind of reliving it for the sake of the podcast and also watching it with me as my chaperone and support system. (laughs) I ended up really enjoying this movie. I thought it was really, really good. And I'm excited to talk about what we have. And I was unimpressed. (laughs) (laughs) But that, well, whatever. (laughs) Okay, well, the general synopsis of the film is a 
first year student in college is dating this guy who she ends up sleeping with and he ends up passing on to her a sexually transmitted entity that follows you and this entity will kill you if it catches up to you. So a lot of the movie is her deciding whether to keep evading this entity or pass on the entity and expose others to this curse that she's found herself within. And there are a couple of catches with this curse. One, the entity is a shape-shifting figure. So it oftentimes will take on the appearance of somebody that the person being followed knows, like a mother or a father or a friend. Other times it does take on the appearance of less obvious people, sometimes much more ghoulish looking people. So there's a lot of different, I think what there were about 10 different appearances we saw. Yeah, there were 14 appearances Mm. of the entity with about 10 different iterations of it. So So it is shape-shifting, which makes it extra terrifying. And also, once you have it, you can't ever really be free from it. Because if you pass on the sexually transmitted demon to another person, they will be first up on the chopping block for that entity to find. But if that entity finds and kills them, then it continues to go right back down the line. So... It's interesting that sex gets you into hot water here, but sex is also what saves you. Exactly. So that's as far as we're going to go without spoiling it. As always, we'll walk through the plot and talk about our reactions and our thoughts throughout. So we want to obviously give a spoiler alert, but we also want to give a content warning because there are instances of sexual violence in here. So if that is something that is triggering to you, then maybe skip out on this one particularly. Nothing too gratuitous, but I did want to mention that up top. All right, so the movie opens with, it's a cold open, so it's not the person we're going to be dealing with throughout the movie, but there is this girl, Annie, and it's about dusk, and she runs out of her house with what looks to be a cami, some PJ shorts, Mm -hmm. and pink stilettos. Mm -hmm. And she runs into the street, and you can see that she's looking around, very bewildered, and Her father's asking what's up. Her neighbor's asking what's up. You could tell that she's looking at something, but it's not registering to the people around her what she's looking at. She ends up running back into the house, grabbing her car keys, and then driving off to the beach. So already, there's a lot of questions I have about the setup of this scene. Right. When we see her on the beach, we see her sitting. She's sitting in the stream of light by her headlights that are on in her parked car. So she's sitting on the sand in that light. And she appears to just be waiting. She calls her dad, says goodbye. And then the next time we see her, it's her dead body. And she's in um quite a compromising position. Very <laughs> Shay warned me not to look because it is very aggressive. She's still wearing her heels and her leg is broken in an unnatural way. And we're still not sure what happened. But I think because of her leg, we get a sense right away that this is some sort of strong whatever it is, right? It's some strong entity. It obviously has Mm -hmm. the ability to make a leg go in the other direction that it should not be going into. A note that I had about this scene, well, first of all, Elise and I both lamented, why the hell? Like, It's not like she is walking out of doing a quote-unquote walk of shame of some degree. Mm. Like, She's running out of her own house, and she is in high heels. She, to me, is very clearly in pajamas, like her loose flowy cami, her little silky shorts, and these high heels. So I guess maybe what's supposed to happen is, like, were they the nearest shoes that she threw on when she was leaving? But also at the same time, if you're in that much of a hurry, do you even bother to put on shoes? She's in the shoes, so that's already a little uh, weird, right? Mm -hmm. The second 
I found it very interesting that she's obviously seeing something that's very distressing to her and mm-hmm. she refused help. She has people around her that mm. are like, what's wrong? What can I do? Do you need anything? And she's carrying that burden. She's mm. like, no. And to me, especially if we're reading this entity as allegorical to an STI of some sort, there's shame involved in that. Right. So even if she is scared and she's under threat, she would have to explain how she got there. Mm. And especially that's why I found it very interesting that she's talking to her dad the entire time because oh. of the relationship that teenage girls might have with their dad talking about sex or their experiences with sex, right? Mm. So I found that super interesting as well as she spends her last minutes alive apologizing to her parents. Mm. Of course, it's kind of like a confessional of like, I just want you to know how much I love you. But she also goes and is like, I know I haven't been easy all the time. I know I'm not easy to deal with, but just know that I love you. Just know that I love you. And I found it very interesting that in her final moments, she's taking a collective of everything that she's done wrong. A lot of it is lamenting that she's made mistakes and that she's sorry. Those being her final moments and the position in which she dies as well, she's positioned on her back with her legs up. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and her legs are bent over 90 degree angle, like her knees are bent like completely away that they shouldn't be. But it almost looks like she's in like a receiving position. Mm-hmm. So I found that super interesting as well. I think one of the reasons I really loved this movie is because it is so heartbreaking in just like so many ways. Like, for example, this opening, we hardly know anything about this character. We only know her name because we hear her dad say it. We only see her for a very short period period of time and already like there's just so much there there's so much to her and almost so much that we want to know of her i feel like in the time we see her we want to know more and i don't know i am a sucker for movies that just grab you by the heart and then just crush it (laughs) so then we enter in the girl that we'll be focusing on for the majority of the rest of the film and her name is Jamie, but she goes by Jay, which I also found interesting because if we're playing by the men, women in chainsaws playbook of what constitutes a final girl, a lot of final girls have very androgynous names, huh. have very masculine type of names. If you think of Ripley, Stretch, there's a lot of other examples in other films where the name of the protagonist isn't necessarily straightforwardly feminine, and she goes by Jay. So the first time we see her, it's a very serene scene. She's in a one-piece suit in her kind of like pop-up pool in the backyard. She's just sort of looking up at the sky, floating on her back. It seems like she's in a happy spot. Very voyeuristic shots, right? Yeah, well, we later see because creepy neighbor kids like to watch her. (laughs) That, And then even too, like her pool is positioned in her backyard, but you can see her backyard from the street. Mm -hmm. So it looks like the camera is watching from the curb almost as she gets into the pool. And then the next shot we see is an overhead as if someone might be like on the roof or something like that. So it's already kind of established that we're supposed to be seeing her in almost like a compromising position or she's Mm. being watched whether she knows it or not. And vulnerable for sure. Kind of like a like a sitting duck. And she's even in water, like a duck. There's a lot of water in this film. I mean, this is the second time already in the film, maybe, what is it, five minutes in that we see water. The first time we saw it was with Annie. Now we're seeing it with Jay. Right, yeah, we go from a beach with Annie and now we're in her pool. And there's going to be themes of water that stay throughout, which is its own thing. 
So after Jay gets out of the pool, she goes inside the house where her younger sister is. Her younger sister's name is Kelly. And Kelly has her friends over, Yara and what's the- Paul. Paul. I always forget Paul's name. But you love Yara. I love Yara. I identify with Yara so much. I forget why. What? Because she sleeps a lot? Oh, yeah. There's a couple scenes of her, like, later where they're they're She's driving. farting and she's sleeping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's <laughs> farting and she's sleeping. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> and those are two things that I really do often. So <laughs> I felt really an instant kinship with Yara. We also see her often with a shell phone, which is a little pink clamshell-looking device that works almost like a smartphone. Yeah, it almost looks like a flip phone, but instead of a normal flip phone, it's almost like you're opening a clamshell and it's an e-reader. You see her, she's reading Dostoevsky the entire film. That's some heavy stuff. Not some light reading to do while you're sitting on the couch with your friends. She's reading The Idiot. She's reading other Dostoevsky works. Like she's just scrolling on this thing. And I had a lot of thoughts about the shell. I want to hear your thoughts because the only thing I could think of was that it's like, oh, it's a shell phone. Well, I I thought too, is it like a clam or an oyster that has the pearl on the inside? So I kind of saw that as a euphemism for a vagina. Oh! And it's pink. Which also I do want to talk about the color pink. Exactly. It was pink and Mm -hmm. she has to keep opening it up. I don't have personal experience with this, but it also kind of looks like what birth control comes in. Like that circular... Oh, plastic holder that a lot of people use that take birth control. It looks like almost like a mirror that you would open up and it has a very similar style to it where it's you just open it up and then there's the medicine that you take by day or whatever. Yeah, I could see that like a similar size for sure. Definitely similar size, similar shape. I mean, I know there's a lot more variety in terms of colors and things of that nature. Again, I'm not the expert on that level of contraception or any that makes me sound really irresponsible. I'm gay. Um, <laughs> I have the best type. I have the best kind of contraception there is. So Jay appears to be 19 or 20. She's a freshman in college. And her friends appear to be like high school graduates or yeah. about to be. Mm-hmm. In terms of characterizing Paul, his entire personality is lusting over Jay. Paul's entire characterization is being a very meek and well-mannered guy who is always just kind of waiting in the wings for Jay to come to her senses. Like, you can tell that he has a jealousy about him when she's going out with this older guy Mm -hmm. on this date, and he just kind of looks withdrawn and upset about it, but not in a way where he's going to actually act on it. He's just going to sit there and sulk about it. Mm. (laughs) But we're not characterized to be annoyed by him in the offset, I don't know if I wasn't just annoyed by him or if he's really meant to be characterized as this quote unquote nice guy and not nice guy TM nice guy. I think as a character that contrasts with a lot of the other young boys we see, I think we're definitely supposed to like him in that way. I will say that aside from, like Shay said, sort of being characterized around Jay, he does seem like he has noble intentions which I think is more than we can say for some of the other young men that we see, despite what they might try to tell themselves. Some more context we get from this scene where they're all interacting with each other in the living room is that the mother is not present and we don't hear anything about the father. And we come to find out what happens with the father later on. But I did read in the Wikipedia that the mother is supposed to be an addict of some sort. Oh, right. But like we didn't really catch anything that made it seem like that was the case. I think 
there's a sense that the mother's not very present and when she is present in a very removed sense right but according to wikipedia Hmm. she's an addict so maybe that's the case but if it was shown it was a little subtly we also get the information that jay is going out at least for the second time with a guy named Hugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they go to a movie theater together. And something that I noticed in the scene leading up to the date where she's getting ready is the color pink is super prominent in that scene. She's wearing a pink dress. She's in her room that has this really cool... The rose lamp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. They're like they're not roses. They almost look like pink lilies. Mm. Also, sort of very, we could say, representative of female genitalia. I did write down the rose lamp was like lit and like ready to go. Yeah, and it it let off this like really beautiful pink light. She put on pink lipstick. You can tell she has a little bit of pink blush on her face. So the color pink is really prominent. She goes out on her date. They're sitting in the movie theater, kind of playing this game. If you could trade places with somebody, who would you trade places with? It's his turn to guess who Jay will change places with, and Hugh guesses a young woman in the back, but Jay can't see her, and that's the first indication that something is weird. Where Hugh is motioning is a completely wide open, empty space, like no people around it. And then you see he is immediately upset, and he insists that they leave and that they get in the car, and there's evidence that they drive further away. And then... The next scene we see is them on a different date, and you can yes. tell because the clothing's different. Date the time number of- three. Yes. And it could be date four or five, but mm-hmm. all that we have the evidence for is that when Kelly asked what Jay was doing that evening, Jay said that she was going out with Hugh, and she said something along the lines of, oh, him again. Mm. So if nothing else, it's at least the third time by the time we're seeing this third date, and they are drinking beer by the water. There's waves crashing on the shore, mm. and Hugh is feeling up her thigh, oh, yes. making moves. Mm-hmm. And what I found was significant about this scene is Jay's the one who initiates sex. Mm. Mm-hmm. Jay's like, let's go back to your car. Mm-hmm. And, and then they do. And then they do. And that's the whole cover art for this film is horny teens in a car, which calling back to our Halloween episode, there's just so many horny teens in cars. What did you think of Jay's like little soliloquy as that scene where she's oh, like, my God, laying, so she's yeah. uh, literally break my heart, literally rip it out, throw it on the ground and stomp on it. So after the two of them have sex, Hugh gets out of the car. We don't know what he's doing, but he goes around to the trunk. So he's doing whatever he's doing in the trunk of the car. And Jay is just sort of like lackadaisically laying in the back seat. She definitely seems deep in thought and she's talking about what she always imagined dating to be like. You know, she's kind of reliving like her girlish ideas of what it would be like to find somebody, to fall in love, to date them. And I don't even know. I don't even know if I got my thoughts together on this because you almost knew like something bad was about to happen, I think, because of her vulnerability and because of her almost (laughs) just like thinking that she was safe and also kind of knowing going into it what was going to happen in the movie and then of course once she finishes her little monologue hugh comes in and knocks her out with chloroform it's literally as jarring as it could be because Mm -hmm. you see the picture of somebody really getting into somebody Mm. and really being vulnerable with somebody and i think this is something that the actress just did very well is you see her go from relaxed to panic in under a second oh and also quick note on the color pink so the third night they go out she's not in her pink dress again but she is in this really cute matching pink bra and underwear set and this is something that i noticed and i don't know if i'm just like looking too much into the details but her underwear it was like bikini cut and it was kind of baggy like it was almost a little bit too big on her like boy short 
she either is inexperienced yeah she, enough it made where, her look young oh yeah like the way that you see underwear fit on a little kid when they get out of their pull-ups for the first time and it's like little baggy around their butt and they're like like that's what it looked like to me like granny panties almost yeah it wasn't like a thong like you think you would see and also the fact that she was wearing a matching set there's like this saying that like a girl always knows when she's gonna have sex like she gets everything ready to whatever level makes her feel comfortable and one of those big indicators is if her bra and her underwear matches if she's into that sort of thing right if that's something she cares about if that's something that makes her feel confident and i just think like seeing jay in this like cute matching set of bra and underwear it's like the color pink which we already know might be her favorite color because we've seen it so much already you get the sense that this was a decision that she wanted to make this is something she felt comfortable doing and it just paired with her monologue it is so i don't know jarring yeah we really get a good look at this when it cuts to the next scene after hugh is done knocking her out she wakes up tied to a wheelchair and it looks as though they're in like a parking structure of sorts like they're almost in like a parking garage and you see her waking up and you kind of see her trying to figure out what happened to her and that's where hugh goes off into his own little speech about how Listen, he had a one night stand. He got this entity. It follows you. He says things like, it's slow, but it's not stupid. Mm-hmm. He's like, sleep with somebody as soon as you can. I'm only holding you here so that you know it's real. And she's very confused. She's very disturbed. And he rolls her up to the edge of this parking structure and you see a naked middle aged woman walking toward them very slowly, like Michael Myers paced slow, Mm -hmm. like not menacingly. And even the expression, the expression is very blank. It's not menacing. Mm -hmm. But I also took note that all of these entities are either naked or in their sleep clothes. Mm -hmm. The last things that would come off before sex, maybe. And that's something that I think is very Western, is that I listened to another podcast that was talking about this, where nudity scares America so much. Um, Yes. Like, the naked body itself just scares Americans in a way that in other cultures, like, nudity is next to nothing. Like, it's just not anything that produces shock value. But that's a reason why slashers and horror movies and exploitation films are big in the United States, is that level of exposure makes so many people inherently uncomfortable that is so interesting i never i never thought about it that way i know because of america's very puritan roots that we sort of were a country founded on a fear of expression a fear of nudity a fear of sin a fear of breaking the rules but the idea that that is so intentionally used not just sort of as an enticing factor of horror but as a purposely uncomfortable factor of horror That's really interesting. So the lady walks up to them and Hugh waits until the lady gets very close to Jay. I think he was doing it to make sure that she could see it and to make sure that he like successfully passed it on. And even if you pass it on, you can also see the entity as well, even if it's not chasing you. Mm -hmm. So Hugh then wheels her to his car, throws her in the back and then drives home. But at this rate, I think Jay is still slipping in and out because she's been drugged. She now realizes that she has been given this entity or given this infection of sorts from Hugh. Right before he drops her off, we have a scene with Jay's younger sister, Kelly, and her friends once again, Yara and... Paul. Paul. <laughs> again, one one day I will remember. And they're talking about 
you know, Jay is so pretty, it's annoying. Paul says, yeah, but she's nice. They're playing cards. We see Yara on her shell phone. Things are all normal, but they're the ones who witness Hugh get out of his car, open the back door, take something out, put it on the street, get back in his car and drive away. And once his car peels out, that's where we see Jay. She's you know, crouched on the ground, still in her underwear, tries to get up, stumbles back down. Her friends have to come sort of help her. And then there's just a very troubling scene afterwards. We see it from the point of view of their neighbor, Greg, and his mother, which will become prevalent later in the film. They're watching an ambulance pull up to Jade's house and the mother laments, oh, these people are just a mess, Mm -hmm. which also I think gives um, a hint that Jay and Kelly's mother just isn't very present. And that's something too that I took note of that like Paul and Yara are always over. Mm. And that's the thing. People always go to the party house. People Mm. spend time at the house where parents aren't present. And granted, you don't really see Yara and Paul and Kelly like partaking in anything too, even teenagerly, like you don't really see them drinking. They smoke cigarettes, but that's Mm -hmm. really about it. But you get the sense that that family is a mess. But it's a very troubling scene where you see Jay being questioned by a police officer, very akin to other depictions where you might see somebody being questioned after they've been raped. Yeah, and actually when we get that shot with the police officer, the first question we hear him asking her, which also I think it's interesting, it is a male police officer speaking to her. He asks her, was it consensual? And she has to say yes, but of course you know at this point that is such a loaded question. It cuts where I think she spends maybe a night in the hospital, and then I think the next thing we see is, I think this is one of the only scenes we see her mother in where she's talking to somebody about Jay, and you get the information that Hugh doesn't exist, that Hugh had given Jay the wrong name Mm -hmm. and lied about who he said that he was. That's where we get the information of why Hugh isn't being held accountable, is that he lied to Jay about who he was and no one can find him at the address that he said or anything. Enter in with Jay in the bathroom and it's a very upsetting scene where she's like looking at herself in the Mm. mirror and I don't know if she's wearing the same thing or if she's wearing... No, she's wearing white, which I think is interesting. That is interesting. But you see her pull the waistband of her underwear out and she begins looking down Mm -hmm. and almost like examining herself because I think... At this rate, she's questioning even what she saw because she was drugged and things of that nature. So she might think that Hugh gave her, you know, a traditional STI of Mm. sorts and she's kind of being on the lookout for something. But it's a very upsetting scene where she has a hard time looking at herself in the mirror. Right. And I think that what is interesting, kind of going back to the use of colors. So the last time we see her wear pink when she's on her date, we only see her wear pink again a select number of times. Like even that lamp we talked about, that cool lamp, we don't even see that on ever again in the movie. Pink is sort of like void. We see a lot of blue, pale yellow, white, and gray. And that first scene that Shay was talking about when Jay is sort of looking at herself in the mirror, kind of checking out her body, she is in white. And I think that that's interesting because white and blue even are colors that are still very much associated with like clarity, purity, angelic properties, right? And so watching that, I still really got the sense that The film was still maintaining Jay's innocence. It was still maintaining her integrity as much as it could, like she's still a human. But that pink, that brightness was washed away. She was back to a very sort of not bland, but colorless appearance. I don't know. That's That had me thinking. 
So the next time we see Jay, she's in class. She's returned back to class in college, presumably. And we get a very Halloween-esque shot Mm. where she is sitting by the window and off in the distance, you see a older woman in a medical gown walking directly toward the window from a distance and it upsets jay enough where she leaves class and greg her neighbor is also in this class so he is bearing witness to her not being okay which i think is very significant for later so she's in the hallway and the only other people in this hallway are like two girls talking to each other but then she sees the older woman turn a corner and start walking toward her and she says hello and the woman doesn't say anything but the girls hear her so the girls confirm that they can't see whatever she's talking to and i think this is where it is solidified that this thing is a threat because this woman isn't inherently scary or dangerous but i think the idea of the randomness and the scening because you wouldn't see an elderly woman with a knee brace in a medical gown in the hallway of a university so jay ends up running out of class and running home right and so she's freaked out her sister and her sister's friends which are also her friends they're very confused they are still we can tell not really believing that this is a real thing they're telling her this isn't real it doesn't exist you're okay but still yara and paul hey i remembered his name end up sleeping over and so we have this scene where it's nighttime paul is downstairs sleeping on the sofa jay comes downstairs she's sitting next to him they kind of recap they had kissed they were each other's first kiss before so we are you know we do get some history but then a window breaks right before we get there this is where i want to unveil my working theory (gasps) okay so i was saying to elise last night that i had this working anti-theory running throughout this entire film of how Jay was acting in this film and what her intentions were. So you see in the movie that Jay sits down next to Paul on the couch and they're sitting very opposite. Paul is leaning against one arm of the couch and Jay is leaning against another arm of the couch. But Jay makes a point to kind of tuck her toes under his legs, like extend her legs to reach out and touch him. And then that's where I forget which one of them brings it up. It might have been Paul about the kiss and they start talking about them kissing each other for the first time it appears innocent right it appears as though like paul's getting his hopes up but this is where i start to think that jay is plotting her options to pass it on she begins setting conditions so that if she needs to pass this on quickly she is priming paul to do so um i'm obsessed i didn't even think about that and here's why we didn't think about that oh Because we have seen Jay at this point in a victimized position. So throughout the rest of this movie, we are primed to see her as being the person who is being chased to be a victim of sexual violence. She could be sinister at that point, but we don't think she's capable of it right now Mm. because we've seen her brutalized and we've seen her victimized. However, women have sexual power and it has been established through the conversations with kelly and her friends there was even a conversation with kelly earlier before her third date with hugh she said something along the lines of well i know hugh wants to have sex but she's the one wielding the power in that situation in initiating the sex we know that jay knows that she has sexual power Mm -hmm. so throughout the film with paul and then later greg Mm. You see her interacting with them in such a way, and it's very easy to kind of fall into a trap where Paul is trying to cater to her or Greg just wants to get some, but I think Jay might be a little smarter than that. 
she's just keeping her options open. I don't Mm -hmm. think she's being manipulative, but I think that she knows that as she sees this being and as this entity keeps coming after her, she realizes that she's going to have to do something. Mm -hmm. And she knows that she has the ability to do something if it comes down to that. Right. Damn. When Paul and Jay are having this moment together, they hear a window break in the kitchen. Paul goes to see what's up, doesn't see anything. He goes upstairs to get Kelly. They're going to call the police. But Jay gets up. She kind of peeks into the kitchen, and there we see the second entity. And this entity, to me, stands out from all the other entities. All of the other entities we see look clean. I mean, they might be naked. They might be wearing, like, pajama-type undergarment clothes, but they look clean, They look like if you saw them on the street, it wouldn't be weird. This entity is a young girl, and she... Well, teenager. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's not a child. She's She's not a child. Yeah, maybe like 17, 18. Yeah. So she appears in the kitchen. The first thing you see is a shot of her feet, and she is wetting herself. So we see a pool of urine gathering at the bottom of her feet. We see the pan up. We see the urine wetting her skirt. We look up. We see she's wearing a bra down over one breast. We see her teeth. It looks like she's missing her two front teeth as though she's been socked in the face. Yeah. And her makeup is very smudged. Yeah. Like she has been crying. Like she got the shit beat out of her. And it is so hard to look at her. This was the first moment for me where I was like, this isn't about STDs. This is 100% about sexual assault and sexual violence. And like you just said, we are on Jay's side. We see her as the victim. We see this entity who we know is here to kill Jay. And I felt so much for this entity. It's like looking at both of those young women in the same room, both having experienced something horrible. It was like, shit like this shit's deep and it also calls into what is the significance in which the entity's form is taken Mm -hmm. because there are a couple ones in here that appear very random and then there are some in here that you could draw back and i think this is one that you could definitely read into where even though what looks like happened to this girl did not physically happen to jay i think this is how she's viewing herself in this moment as assaulted and and, yeah. and very taken advantage of and she doesn't have control i mean obviously this entity's like losing its faculties it's pissing itself right so she doesn't feel like she's in control of mm. anything and then even you could maybe read into it with the old woman because you kind of get the sense that this woman's confused and and right. that's part of the reason that up front it doesn't appear to be threatening because it kind of just looks like oh did someone like break out of the old senior living facility like what's happening but it might be that she's not remembering mm-hmm. what's happened to her I love that you said that because I have been thinking about the entities as well, sort of wondering if they represent like stages of coping with grief and the versions which you imagine yourself or the types of people you think about as you're grieving. Like you mentioned the woman, like perhaps it represents like an aging process. In her assault, she has aged. She had to grow up. Exactly. Real fast. A loss of innocence for sure. And I was wondering if maybe perhaps it was representative of when the victim thinks, what is my future going to be like? What is my life going to be like now? And then also for the second entity, the one who was so obviously physically brutalized, pissing herself, obviously her clothes were torn. I was wondering if like that was almost there are people who have had this worse than me. Yeah, she's seeing in the face what could have happened to her. So it's almost like a survivor's guilt of sorts. Yes. And that's what I was wondering, too. Like, is that something that people think about to try to... I mean, 
I think it is. You try to think about, well, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. But it doesn't change what Jay herself has experienced. It doesn't change her trauma. So perhaps it is that fear of what could have been. And then I think with the third entity, we see, to make a long story short, Jay locks herself in a room. By the time, you know, everyone finally opens up, the third entity that Jay sees is a very abnormally tall man with no eyes. I believe he is seven foot seven. Yes, he is a very, very tall Mm -hmm. man. Mm -hmm. And that comes looming after her. And I think that might just represent the height of fear, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Because at this point, Every bump in the night looks like it's going to be like this monster that's coming down. It's mm-hmm. what, like what this threat is going to look like. Because even if we look at Hugh, we didn't really talk about how Hugh was characterized, but he's a conventionally attractive 21 year old guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but I think when we see aggressors, we're thinking of this soulless, eyeless, huge, tall, intimidating person. And that's the form in which it takes when. Jay sees the next one is this very looming mm-hmm. feature. It almost reminds me, if anyone's seen the Stephen King adaptation of Gerald's game, it almost looks like the Moonlight Man. Elise is looking at me. Like, I haven't seen it fuck? because somebody told me that it was so disturbing. We're definitely going to cover it for the podcast because mm-hmm. I think there's yeah. <laughs> a lot to it that this movie and that movie have in common. Okay. okay. But it's definitely a little more viscerally disturbing <laughs> than this one is in many different ways. But Yeah. So long story short, Jay runs to a nearby playground and her friends follow her. And then at this point, Greg, her neighbor, he was smoking weed in a car with some girl. Greg is being characterized like he's a little bit of a womanizer. He is. And he's a cutie. I mean, he has the like the longish dark hair. He's got a swagger to him. He's giving me a little like Team Jacob in Twilight. (laughs) Yes. Now that you say that, I can totally see that. So this is where Greg enters the picture and takes it upon himself to involve himself. Right. And we do, since he is 21, we do get a sense that he's a little bit older and like can take some control in that way. I I think Jay is 19 or 20. But I mean, at that age, when you're 19 and a 21 year old comes along and is like, I can help. I mean, that seems like a godsend. I think at this point, too, like Paul and Kelly and Yara are being a little defensive of men interacting with Jay because I think they're trying to be sensitive to what she's gone through. Mm. But when Greg turns around to leave, Jay stops and is just like, are you leaving? And again, this was one of those things where she is trying to keep as many men around her as possible. And again, not in a manipulative way. And maybe it's because Greg is a cute boy who's going to make her feel safe after everything that she's gone through. Or maybe it's because she knows that he's taken an interest and she knows that she's going to have to make a move soon because this thing keeps coming after her. This anti-theory is blowing my mind. Interesting, interesting. So next, they go and see Hugh. And there's a whole scene where they end up finding out that he was not his actual name. His real name is Jeff. And apparently he went to high school with Greg and they find him in a yearbook and they go to Jeff's real house, which is in a nice neighborhood. And part of the story that they covered earlier is that Jeff was staying in a very dilapidated house in like a quote unquote bad part of town, but instead is actually from a pretty wealthy background and things of that nature. So when they knock on Jeff's door, his mom opens up, but his mom was the naked lady, the first entity that we oh, yeah. the first entity that we saw on screen when Hugh slash Jeff and Jay were in the parking structure, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty significant for Hugh, not for Jay, but 
for Hugh seeing that, mm-hmm. it's definitely disarming. Mm-hmm. For sure. And we do hear more from Hugh. He's very... Jeff. <laughs> oh, Hugh Jeff. Hugh Jeff. We do hear more from Hugh Jeff, and he he seems pretty resolved in his decision. He even tells Jay, like, you're a girl. You can sleep with anybody you want. Just pass it on. Just pass it on. To me, if we're going with the whole trauma theme, this to me seemed like the idea that, like, the traumatized traumatize others. Like, there is a cycle of trauma, especially with sexual abuse. People who are sexually abused have often gone on to sexually abuse others. That is by no means always the case, not at all. But we see part of that cycle here when Hugh very resolutely passes on this trauma to Jay. His advice is pretty much like skip town and get a good night's sleep. So that is what happens is Greg has a mountain house or a lake house of sorts. Again, water and sand. Right. It's on the Great Lakes. So and I don't know how far away it is, but but significantly far. Mm -hmm. They drive through the night, they get there. And then eventually we see the second or whatever entity that we see. It's a scene on the beach. We see them sitting there. All of a sudden we see Yara. She's walking onto the beach. But then there's this brilliant shot where we see Yara then floating on an inner tube in the lake. So we know we have another entity on our hands. And for the first time, everybody except Greg which is key, is able to see enough of the entity because the entity tries to pull Jay's hair. So Jay obviously can feel this. She can see the entity, but her friends see her hair being pulled. They can see that something is going on. That, and then Paul cracks it over the head with a chair. Yeah. And then Paul gets flung back. Yeah, and he even has like a bark from that. Like he gets kind of fucked up for something that he can't even see. So they end up hiding in this shed, and then we see the entity go through three different iterations. It turns into the tall man again, Mm -hmm. and then it turns into a little neighbor boy. Yeah, that voyeuristic little boy. Exactly. And then it culminates in Annie. But Elise mentioned while we were watching, it's like, oh, well, it's turning into whatever it needs to be to get through the door. Because this little boy isn't going to kick through a wooden door, but the tall man Mm -hmm. could. It goes through three different iterations, and then they finally get out. The last one that to chase them is Annie, mm-hmm. which at this rate, we don't know that Jay knows who Annie is. No, no. Do you think Annie slept with Hugh? That could very well be the case. I didn't even think about that till now. That Annie was the person that, that gave it to implied. Hugh Jeff? Mm-hmm. Hugh Jeff. Hugh Jeff. It sounds like we're saying huge F. okay anyway so then of course jay's driving away she loses control of the car because she's freaking out and she plows into a cornfield cracks her head and then she wakes up in the hospital bada bing bada boom then there's this awesome scene in the hospital where i joked with elise about this while we were watching and i'm like whoever directed this film got their money's worth with this hospital scene because it is the same hospital room and it is used like five different times yeah There's a great scene of Jay like waking up in the hospital and kind of realizing what's happening. And the camera pans over Paul and Greg are both asleep in chairs next to each other. And the camera zooms in on Greg. So you can kind of see that Jay is subtly choosing Greg Mm -hmm. to pass it on to. And shortly after that, we see them banging in the hospital room. Well, more like we see Greg banging and... Yeah. Jay kind of residing herself to being there. Yeah, her face is exactly like Shay said. She's resigning herself to this. This isn't something she wants. It's something she feels she has to do. There's a quick 
shot after the fact, we just see Jay sort of laying in her bed. And to me, it resembles Annie's death when we see Annie on the beach. Obviously, minus the legs bent back in the opposite direction at the knee, but we have that same, like, sprawled out, head tilted to the side. Oh, you're right. I do remember that now. I'm sort of wondering if, like, this is representing, like, a different sort of death, because obviously this isn't the entity. This is Greg, and this is something that Jay decided to do, and Greg decided to do, but, like... There's something else going on here, and, and I'm wondering if it's if we're getting into the idea of repeated trauma, trying to pave over trauma, or I don't know. And I think it's also how different people cope with trauma, because True. there might be people who've experienced sexual violence that they have a lot of sex, and mm-hmm. that's, that is how they cope, and that's how they are trying to make it feel better. So you do see her kind of trying to experiment with different ways to make herself feel better, where she runs away from it, and then she's sleeping with other people, and she She's just staying in bed all day and she's kind of looking for something to make it go away and nothing really is. And this is where we start to get confirmed that Greg is a creep. Yeah, he's a creep. It's important to note that he is the only one who has not experienced anything directly with the entity. His back was turned when the shit went down on the beach and he's saying to her face that he believes her and that he understands. She's asking, like, well, have you seen anything? Have you seen anything? And he's like, no, I haven't seen anything, but I believe you. Greg himself is like a different kind of entity. Like the person who takes advantage of somebody when they are vulnerable, when they are hurt. Well, yeah. And let's recap here. So the only experiences that Greg has had with Jay is he saw the ambulance pull up the night that Hugh Jeff dropped her back off. One. Two, sees her leave class in a huff because she's upset. Three, sees her riding a bike in her underwear to Mm, a playground uh when he's in the car hotboxing it with some other hot chick. And then four, sees her drive her ass through a cornfield with her car and end up in the hospital. And that's not to say that you can't like somebody or you can't like like somebody despite of what they're going through. But what conditions does this create that yes? This is exactly who I want to sleep with. Mm, Like, mm -hmm. hasn't she been through enough? So we're getting the idea that Greg is really milking how vulnerable Jay is. But then again, like, as much as it looks as though Greg is doing something valiant and doing something brave, Jay created the conditions and Mm. chose Greg. That's very true. And we do see Greg in a different light than we see Jay's other friends. And I love Jay's support system in this movie. I'm obsessed with Jay's sister, Kelly. I'm obsessed with Yara, as we know. And also, I think Paul is great. Like, and we see them striving with their own hearts and minds as they're watching Jay go through all of this, because at first they don't believe it's real, and then they're not sure what's going on. Is she is she unhinged? Like, what's happening? And then they believe her because they see parts of it themselves. But even when they're not sure what she's seeing is real, they are pretty much steadfastly by her. And I think that that is so cool because I feel like in horror movies, like I've seen a lot of people fuck people over. In this time, like her support system remains her support system. But I don't know. I really like that. And I think that that's special. (laughs) And they're advocating for her because then she comes home from the hospital and she's like locked herself in a room. She's got like a chair under her doorknob. Like she does not feel safe. She keeps looking out the window. She does not feel safe. And if we're playing by the rules of this entity, it can only walk. So it had to follow them 
to the lake house and now it's walking cross country back so granted she does have some time to fuck with here and there's also a very significant shot where i guess a tree had fallen on their above ground pool and it is not in use anymore that's going to become a little significant later but it's also significant because we see even after her assault she returns to the pool like being in water is her happy place and it's kind of like symbolizing that her happy place she doesn't have one it doesn't exist Mm, mm. yes i agree so we see greg saunter up and is like oh can i go up and see jay and paul and yara and kelly are kind of very defensive like no i don't think she wants to see anybody right now you can tell what his nature is because he says i just thought she'd be better by now Mm, and it's mm -hmm. really evidence that he was using her trauma as a way to gain trust and swoop in and kind of be her knight in shining armor but once he kind of realizes that he would have to be in this for the long haul and like really just have to deal. And again, that's not to say anybody who's been through trauma is something that has to be dealt with. That is not, that's absolutely not. But like once he reads as this is something that he is going to have to really work through with her, he like nopes the fuck out of there. Right. And so we see Jay, she's looking out the window one night across the street where Greg lives. And all of a sudden she sees Greg in like white long johns and a Henley walking down the street and break in through the front window and of his house of his house right and of course the entity has that entity walk that blank stare that really good posture <laughs> just walking just cruising and so she knows something is up so she freaks she goes she runs she's getting into this house and this goes against my anti-theory because at this mm. point well actually no it doesn't because you could argue that she wants to go save him because she wants to go save him and that she, and she cares. But it also, the longer that he's alive, the longer that she's alive because it's not coming back for her. Yeah, I agree. Because for Hugh Jeff, I mean, I think him telling her about the entity was completely self-serving. I mean, he might say, I told you so you would know. I told you so you would know. But of course, she's going to stay alive longer if she knows what she's trying to avoid. And I think we do see that here as well. So we see Greg, the entity Greg, break in (laughs) and then we see jay also break in to the house and she looks down the hallway and she sees the entity in the form of greg's mother knocking on greg's bedroom door Mm -hmm. and he opens it in a very like what the fuck mom kind of way he had been listening to like video games or something which is why he didn't hear jay freaking out and then the entity lunges at him and jay runs to the door we get a very disturbing scene where we see the entity in the form of greg's mother fucking greg to death and if that isn't oedipal i don't know what is and then i think it solidifies that no matter what form it takes it will fuck you to death very ahs season three style because mm-hmm. that's like a superpower of one of the witches is that I, anyone who fucks her dies oh gosh oh gosh oh. which i guess isn't really a superpower but anyway it's not necessarily confirmed but especially in the manner in which annie is found dead like i said it's a very kind of assuming position and we see physically that that is what the entity is doing to greg and greg dies yeah it seems almost like very like a dementor like just kind of sucks the life out of him via whack-ass intercourse yeah it is really disturbing for sure jay runs away and she drives through the night she's obviously even more traumatized okay this is just getting more and more difficult she falls asleep on the hood of her car which i thought was i had a thought about that oh yeah i want to hear what you have to think about that because in my mind i was like on the hood of your car like that's so random i think it's a couple things i think it's because she wanted to keep a watchful eye 
and like wanted to be aware of her surroundings. But also, the last time she slept in the back seat of a car, <gasps> she was assaulted. Oh my the inside, God. the back seat of a car is not a safe place for her anymore. I, yep, wow, that's wow. I found that significant in a couple ways because Ugh. obviously like any woman who drives through the night stops midway on a trail through the woods and sleeps on the hood of your car like no like that's obviously right. not a safe situation to be put in but she already feels so unsafe that that's better than staying oh gosh. in the car. Wow I just had to sit in that for a second. She wakes up and it's daylight and she sees that down the way a little bit there's a little beach and there's kind of a moment she does seem excited to see the water, to see the sand. And she goes down to the beach and off the way she sees like a boat with like three, like what, like 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds on it. Like just her age ish. Yeah, yeah. Just some dudes having a due day. Saturdays for the boys. So I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't know. And also whatever. So we see her take off her clothes in her underwear. And this is actually the first time since her assault that we see her in the color pink we see her she's wearing pink underwear and like a pink kind of like undershirt different from the first undergarment pink set i'm wondering if that has to do with maybe her like trying to gain back some autonomy that's exactly what i thought Mm -hmm. is that like she feels the most empowered when she's in the water and that's Mm. going to become very evident in the final scene of the movie is that she feels most at ease when she's in water and her kind of standing with her ankles in the water and disrobing like Mm. she knows that she has power in this situation so she ends up getting down to her bra and underwear and swimming out presumably to maybe, maybe not have sex with one of Mm -hmm. these men. And we never know for sure. But the next scene, she has wet hair. So we know she at least was in the water, but maybe she just went for a swim. Yeah, it's very ambiguous Mm -hmm. as to whether she slept with one of the men or multiple of the men to avoid the entity. So once she's back in her house, she's in her room with her sister, Kelly, and Paul comes in the room and he sees a picture of jay in the pool smiling and he gets this grand idea first before this grand idea happens (laughs) he has this bitch-ass monologue (laughs) of why did you pick greg you know i liked you too and jay counters back he's like i thought he'd be okay Mm -hmm. and i thought he could handle it Mm -hmm. which is really showing how much power she really thinks that paul has Mm. and she even says too because i slept with greg in high school it's not a big deal right she does say that she does and this crushes paul of course yeah that is interesting that she frames it in that way instead of like i actually care about you i don't want anything bad to happen to you like it's like i thought he'd be okay and he tries to kiss her and she ices him out paul deserves to be iced out for that like no he absolutely does that's so tone deaf Yeah, she's traumatized, dude. Like, this is not your time. Because we do see Paul being very caring after the assault, where it's like, I'll sleep over every night you want me to. Mm, Just tell mm -hmm. me what makes you comfortable. I'm here for you. I just want to help. I just want to help. But then he saw Greg's approach of being like a little more sexually aggressive and a little Mm. more dominant work. So he might feel like, okay, well, this is what she wants. She wants somebody to take control. And then he tries and she's like, no. That's very interesting. Yeah, for sure. That certainly marks a change in how we see Paul approaching the situation. So then he introduces this grand idea. Right. So basically, we don't know what the grand idea is until we see the crew. We see Jay, Yara, Kelly, and Paul walking into 
Detroit, like the city of Detroit. So they're leaving the suburbs. Yara has some dialogue about when she was a little girl, you know, her mother told her not to cross what eighth mile. Is that what they call it? Eight mile. The others kind of share a similar idea. So it's really kind of setting the scene that we're in the city of Detroit. We take a look at some dilapidated houses. The tone certainly shifts as we're sort of in There's no color. There is no color. Like it goes from very colorful suburbs to very muted. Sky is gray. There's an incoming storm. And somehow they break into a community pool. No one is there. <laughs> this is like an Olympic-sized indoor community pool that it, this building exists to house a pool, and that is it. It's a cool freaking building. Yeah, but that's the thing. It, it appears as though it's abandoned, but it's perfectly chlorinated. <laughs> it's perfectly clean. The water's crystal blue. Like Right, right. And then we get this scene that ruins the fucking film for me. Why don't you talk about this, Shay? I fucking will, because <laughs> this home alone bullshit... <laughs> is so stupid i was infuriated watching this scene so first of all they're also carrying these suitcases they're bringing all these suitcases and then they start bringing out these weird devices they have a crock pot they have lamps they have a television they have a mosquito buzzer they have a hair dryer a typewriter a typewriter and they're all really dated things like the tv is old the typewriter is obviously old all of the extension cords what home depot did you rob on the way to this where you have this many extension cords and why are there so many live outlets next to a fucking pool (laughs) that's such a good point i never thought of that this is the most so paul's brilliant idea is that he's going to put jay in the water they're going to lure the entity into the pool jay's going to get out of the pool and they're going to throw all these electronics in the pool and electrocute a demon and let it be known jay does not want to be in the water like yeah. Jay did not co-sign this plan. No. This is Paul's bright idea. And I think too it's very important that we saw that the backyard pool was broken because my other thing is I'm not a scientist, but something tells me if you want to get water that is going to be conducive to electricity, don't pick an Olympic-sized <laughs> swimming pool. Yeah. So yeah. I granted they have all these electronics and things of that nature, but there's no better way. Like I was almost expecting when they were having the storm roll in that they were going to pull some Frankenstein shit and find a way to get some lightning going on. But no, let's just get every single weird electronic that may or may not work. <laughs> Again, what did you rob to right. get all of these Functional enough to gain a charge, but broken enough where you don't mind throwing it into a community pool. I'm done. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That was beautiful. God, I'm out of breath. So... So Jay's in the pool and their plan, of course, doesn't go according to plan. We see an entity come in in a shape that we've never seen before, like a middle-aged guy. He's got a dark beard. Daddy. Mm-hmm. Daddy. And we'll get there. But um, the entity is smart. So the entity starts throwing the electronics in the pool at Jay. And not just like a light little coin toss type throw, but like a, I am going to fling this typewriter at you. I'm going to fling this street lamp sized fly buzzer at you. And of course, the fear is will Jay get electrocuted? But then we learn obviously the plan's not working because Jay's fine, except getting like hit with she is getting knocked in the cranium with yeah. 100 pound electronics. Yeah. Like, and we nothing. even see a little bit of blood in the water. Like, obviously, she's you know in pain. Although, this scene does house the funniest thing that happens in this movie. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Wait, you say it. You say it. So, 
This Scooby-Doo gang is now <laughs> in possession of a gun because there was a scene where Greg gets a gun from their lake house or something of that degree. And now Paul is in possession of this gun. So Paul is trying to trail the entity and just starts shooting wildly, <laughs> trying to hit an invisible entity and fucking shoots Yara. <laughs> Poor Yara. She gets shot in the leg. Yara is she's definitely, fine. she's like some essential comedic relief for me. Not that her getting shot is funny, but like, it is really funny. <laughs> so ultimately, Kelly is the one. She throws a sheet, gets it on the entity enough where they can see the outline. Paul shoots the entity and it falls in the water. So at this point, Jay makes her move to escape. But of course, in the most quintessentially scary move, the entity grabs her freaking ankle before she can get out. And then, of course, there's this mad dash to figure out what they're going to do because Jay's being dragged under the water. And then Paul again starts shooting wildly. <laughs> what? Into the pool and somehow lands a headshot mm -hmm. and then bye-bye ghost for now. Yeah, that ultimately ends up being it. Um, they can't see the entity as we know, but when Jay looks back in the pool, we see the clouds of blood sort of billowing out of where this entity would be. That only she can see. That only she can see. I've done a lot of thinking about this headshot. Please say more. I was thinking about if the entity is connected to the person themselves right? If the entity represents different perspectives or different experiences of the person that the entity is haunting, maybe it would make sense for the headshot to solve the problem because how you deal with your trauma is in your brain. I like that. Not saying that trauma is only in your head, but you have to do a lot of work to rewire some of that shit once something like that happens to you. And I feel like if we finally get this headshot, then we finally solve the problem. We can finally get our brain back. Right. No, I like that. Yeah, I didn't know what playbook we were rolling by because zombies will die all of a sudden if you shoot them in the head and oh. <laughs> sexually transmitted demons. Yeah, as long as it's in the head, it's fine. Maybe that's a sex joke. Like, you just got to give it head and it dies. <laughs> yes, that is definitely something that could be a double entendre for sure. So after this, we see in the most unsurprising fashion, Jay tops Paul. <laughs> Yes. Yes, we see a very upsetting sex scene where Jay is very emotionlessly having sex with Paul, and you get the sense that it's Paul's first time. He d he's just not doing anything. Like, he's just very yeah. being the recipient of- It is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable, but you do get the sense that, you know, that's what he wanted to do. They even have a conversation afterwards. Is it, you and I call it the PSR, the post-sex review? <laughs> yes! post-sex review so they have a psr where and it almost <laughs> and elise and i were joking during this where i'm like this almost sounds like the conversation that one would have where it's just like did you finish or like did you come oh yeah he asks her do you feel any different and she's like no do you and he's like no and yeah so it really just shows we don't know if it really did anything I had this kind of backtracking uh, back to colors because I'm like literally obsessed with them. Going back to the very beginning when we see Hugh Jeff go on that date with Jay when she's wearing her pink dress, he's wearing a red shirt and we kind of see red. I don't know. Like, is that a variation of pink? Like, is it like a more aggressive version of pink? And at the end, after the pool scene, when we see 
Jay in the hospital room because this is another scene where they get their money's worth, like you said, because Yara's in the hospital with her shot leg. We see Jay wearing red, which I think is interesting. That's the first time we see her wear red, especially after a long stint of wearing really muted, cooler colors. And it makes me wonder, especially in that scene where we see her topping Paul, is there a change here? Does she fully sort out her trauma or is she still stuck in toxic patterns or she's still striving with herself to to manage this well part of me doesn't think so because even in the sex scene with her and paul the camera pans and you still see that she still has a chair under the doorknob like she Mm. still does not feel safe Mm -hmm. which i almost kind of appreciate because it's showing that like if we're marking this headshot in the pool as almost like a breakthrough or like Mm. an improvement, it doesn't fix it. Like she's still going to be affected by this forever. I also don't like it because in both situations, it characterizes Paul saving her. He's the one who shoots the entity and then he sleeps with her. And then you also see Paul um, in a very similar scene to the boat scene with the three guys. You see him start cruising Detroit and looking at sex workers Mm, positioned mm -hmm. on the corner. So you get the impression that he is also biding his time or he Mm -hmm. is also having almost an insurance policy for this thing. And they're both kind of just waiting it out. And the movie ends with Jay and Paul walking hand in hand down the street. And in the very distance, you Mm -hmm. see something walking after them, but you can't tell if it's an entity or just another human. I think that's something the movie does so well because that is not the first or even the second time there is an undescript person that could be an entity, could not be an entity in the background of a shot, right? So this is something that we've seen before. Sometimes we don't know if it's an entity. Sometimes it proves not to be an entity. But in this case, we're kind of left on that cliffhanger, which I love. I looked up some information about trauma. I was kind of interested in repeated trauma. Because I think where you saw Jay sort of beginning to craft a backup plan really, really early on, I feel like I saw her like the scene with Greg and she was so kind of lifelessly a part of that when they were like having sex. And then the scene with Paul, again, even though she was topping, she was very like not into it at all. And it just sort of like made me think of, you know, how many times is she going to have to sleep with somebody before she actually feels like she's a part of that again? Or like, what is she going to have to do? Is she going to try to keep sleeping with people to run away? Because if we're thinking about this from like the broader allegorical standpoint, a lot of people who experience sexual trauma, I think, try to relive that trauma and sort of like pave over it in their minds or prove to themselves that there can be a different outcome this time. But it just sort of like oftentimes leads to disappointment or more trauma. And this is something that I've done a little bit of research on, like both as an undergrad student and as a grad student. So this idea of sort of repeating trauma isn't new to me, but I did want to do some research sort of refreshing myself on it. And yeah, I mean, I it, it was just sort of like basic, but that's sort of what I was thinking in terms of how to apply that to this film. I guess for Jay, I just felt really kind of like not attached to her, But I was worried for her because I think that there is a lot of reading that we could do into her behaviors. And and we did that already. We did so much reading into her behaviors. And I just wanted to see more about the trauma aspect of it. There's a lot of, I mean, horror movies that look into trauma. And I think that something that this movie does very well is looking at not necessarily every stage of it. But I think that this is a very fresh take on the days after, the weeks after, the first Mm -hmm. few months after. Because I think in a lot of movies, when there is a bad event, you see like, 
a break six months later where they kind of want to skip over the ugly. Mm -hmm. And this movie lets you in on the ugly. Right. Well, I also found a video about... (gasps) Oh, that's right! To end it on a very funny note, I found a video, and this is by the channel The Film Theorists. So what they do is apply a lot of math and logic to films to really try to calculate whether the occurrences in films can be done or like if things are feasible or if things can be logicked out through timing and math and formulas and things of that nature. So this video focused on the entity and it follows and it calculated how fast it walks. Oh my gosh. And it calculated out how Jay can live pretty much like a productive and normal life constantly outrunning the entity. Okay. So what did you what did you find? I forget. I mean, I don't I forget the actual numbers of like how many miles per hour it actually walks, but essentially If we're playing by the rules that the entity does not hitch a ride, like it does not take public transportation, it can't walk through walls, it has to like create a doorway for itself, and that it always walks, it never runs. It essentially mapped out a route of Detroit where that allowed her to go like to and from school every day. It's pretty much as long as she doesn't stay in one place for a while. She just has to make sure that she drives far enough away. And the only thing is she has to wait until the entity comes back to her mm-hmm. so that she can drive in the opposite direction. And then it gives her like a couple days where she can like sleep and not worry. And she always has to be on the move. But he kind of like mapped out oh a gosh. lifestyle based on like work and and sleep and basic needs where she could feasibly live in Detroit, but just have to go on like summer vacations at Disney. And- <laughs> Be able to have it never really catch up to her. I love that. Be based on how fast it walks. So that was It Follows. Yeah. I think the pool scene ruined it all for me. And, and, And I'm kidding mostly. I think also for me, the movie tried so hard to be allegorical that it stopped being thrilling somewhere along the way. Besides maybe like its score and the way it was shot, like it really didn't do much to unnerve me i think it was disturbing in a lot of other senses but in terms of it being like a straightforward horror film it's not one of my favorites of course it's allegorical and i think it succeeds in delivering its message but in terms of enjoying it i was a little bored i think that the fact that it didn't go too much into the traditional horror aspects in addition to the content i think is what saved me and what made sure i'd be able to watch it because i think otherwise it would have been too much because it is so inherently horrific that for me, I, I don't even think it needed all the other stuff. I enjoyed it. I feel like I'm slowly building up my repertoire of scary things that I've watched, and I feel really good about it. So, cool. <laughs> I think we're a little undecided on what we're going to do next week. We are. But by the time that this episode actually airs, we will have been able to receive emails from people because on the date that we're recording this, we are releasing our very first episode in two days. <laughs> so... At this point, hopefully we will have heard from people about their thoughts or maybe movies that they would like to see. And we want to take that into consideration. But we also definitely have some movies in mind that are holiday themed for the months that are coming up. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited to dive into those. But otherwise, we're grateful that you're listening. And we're grateful that there are folks out there that want to listen to us talk. Yeah. Awesome. And speaking of reaching out to us, you can contact us at the horrors podcast at gmail.com. And that's horrors with a W or Instagram 
at the Horrors Podcast. Right. So thank you all for being here. Until next time, we're the Horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.